Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Ibrahim is a refugee from the conflict in Sudan. He's living without proper documentation in a neighboring country. His sister had fled about a year before him, and through contact with our longtime friends and co-workers, Miriam had come to faith in Jesus. Miriam had been telling her brother about Jesus and the joy and peace she'd found in the midst of their desperate life circumstances, but Ibrahim would have nothing of it. He had been faithfully taught in the mosque that Christians had corrupted the true revelation of God, introduced all manner of errors and heresy, and that's why God spoke through Muhammad to bring correction. Among the most serious of these errors was the Christian belief that Jesus is God incarnate and sent to take on a human form. Ibrahim was a good Muslim. One night, the police raided the shelter where he was staying, looking to harass people without proper documents and perhaps earn a bribe in the process. Ibrahim ran into the darkness to escape and heard the footsteps of policemen following him when he suddenly fell. He'd run into a hand-dug well that was 12 to 15 feet deep, was head down, feet up, in the bottom of this well. As one does when falling, he'd put his hands out to stop his fall or at least break the, the fall, and he had severely injured his shoulders. He found himself head down, his arms stretched out, and his shoulder badly injured. He heard the policeman run by, look around for a little while where this guy had disappeared, and then left. Ibrahim didn't want to call out and ask for help because that would call attention to him and bring the policeman back. But he was completely stuck and helpless. Being upside down and in pain, he passed out. Several hours went by. He was roused by someone pulling on his feet and lifting him out of the hole. After a few minutes of struggle, he stood on the edge of the well and thanked the man who helped him. Chatted for a while, asking how he found him and so on. Ibrahim turned to tell another person who was passing by what had happened and turned to introduce him to this man who had rescued him, and the man who rescued him had gone. Ibrahim went to Miriam's house, his sister, to get help with his injured shoulder to tell, him what, tell her what had happened. When he walked into the door, make sure this works. Can you advance? There we go. He stopped dead in his tracks as he entered the small room that his sister lived in. Who is that man, he asked. Somewhere in the market, Miriam had seen a calendar printed by a local church with the typical European image of Jesus. She was drawn to the image of Jesus printed on that calendar, so she purchased it for the sake of the picture. Ibrahim saw that picture and wanted to know who it was because it was the same man who had pulled him out of the well just a few hours before. Ibrahim quickly recognized that God had reached into that well and saved him and shown himself to Ibrahim 
in a form and a likeness that he would recognize when he arrived at his sister's house the next day. His faith is growing and he shares his story of God becoming man to rescue him. Thank you for allowing us the time to share with you this morning. I appreciate this opportunity. As Jim says, it's been, it's been quite a while. There was a study done in the last five years by a researcher named Garrison. It was published in a book called A Wind in the House of Islam. It says that those who come from Islam and decide to follow Jesus, uh, there were three dominant reasons that they cited. Of all the reasons and the various things that people had experienced, these three things floated to the surface in his research. And the first by far was dreams and visions. And you've heard about this, I'm sure, uh, over and over again. We hear these remarkable stories of vivid dreams, very specifically challenging individuals in their specific circumstances to consider the claims of Christ. The second is knowing a person who is already a follower of Jesus, that personal relationship. And then the third is access to the scriptures, especially the Gospels, or as the Quran refers to it as the Injil. The Injil is uh, respected and, re- and revered um, in, in Islamic teaching, and yet it's uh, not terribly accessible to majority of people that are in that faith system. It's been our uh, privilege in the last three and a half years as we've moved from a focus in Africa and spent some time in roles in our international administration to have been asked to take on this current role as the director of the work that we, uh, the way we divide up the world, the way we, what we call Eurasia. So that uh, green part on the globe there is the uh, territory, the region of the world that Barb and I are privileged to oversee. It comprises 73 countries, has 13 time zones. We have 450 staff that are directly affiliated with us and multiples of that who uh, work with us but are responsible to other agencies. We are currently working in about 140 programs and we are aware of at least 200 more that are awaiting some access to scripture. Our staff come from nine countries. Less than half of them come from the U.S. And so a significant part of our responsibilities and time is taken in working with this uh, incredible multicultural team. In that green area, we organize ourselves into six strategy units that are focused primarily on more socio-political or socio-religious factors than specifically country borders. And there are very interesting and encouraging things happening in each of those six strategies. It could take uh, quite a bit of time this morning to work through each one. But this morning, I'll speak primarily about our work in North Africa and in West Asia. In North Africa, we have a member who comes from Korea, and he decided to use social media to reach into 
a group that is very resistant to even looking at, let alone handling uh, scriptures, things that have already been produced and are available but are uh, considered uh, haram, considered unclean. He noticed that a high percentage of that community used uh, mobile devices and they were most often communicating with each other on Facebook. So he worked with a few young people and had, who had come to faith in Jesus and created a community page in this particular language group on Facebook. They posted stories about local soccer stars and folk tales and community leaders. Um, but they also included translations of the Psalms and began to watch the response to that. Later on, they posted portions of the book of Luke, including uh, the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. They were able to place analytics on this page and track how people found them, how long they stayed in each place, uh, where they went when they left uh, this uh, this website, this uh, Facebook page. And to date, there's been 6 million hits on that Facebook page, and 170,000 have watched a dramatized video of the life of Jesus all the way through, about a 20-minute uh, video. That data is being used now to prioritize the next steps on this sensitive project and to inform uh, other teams on ways in which they could perhaps use technology. Another use of technology that uh, we're uh, experimenting with and it's becoming increasingly common is, uh, is, uh, comes out in, in this story. We have a colleague named Julie who works with another agency in a very sensitive country, a country that's not normally open to foreigners. She's there legitimately as a teacher and over time has formed relationships with women and shared the gospel. Julie meets with a woman named Fatima in a coffee shop each week to discuss Fatima's new and growing relationship with Jesus. Fatima is sharing her understanding of the gospel with her friends and can receive portions of the scriptures via Bluetooth as their phones sit on the table uh, while they enjoy their coffee together. The content sometimes is portions of scripture that's currently being worked on in that language, and the translator is wanting to get feedback from a mother tongue speaker, and, uh, and Fatima is able to help in that process. Uh, but it's also there's already translated scripture portions and audio and video uh, drama based on Bible stories. It's not possible for Fatima to receive and carry around a printed copy of the scriptures, but she's thrilled to have access to the gospel for her own growth and for sharing uh, on her phone when she has time and can easily do that. Barb and I have been moved uh, into this new role and exposed to things that are very new and unfamiliar to us. And we've been reflecting on this in regards to the passage in Acts that was read earlier, this church experience with the other, people that are not like us, people that don't share our values, our history, our language, 
or our culture. I've noticed over the years that when I speak uh, to a group about work in Africa or my colleagues speak about work in the Amazon or in, um, say, the highlands of Papua New Guinea, uh, they're remarkable stories and they're well-received. And uh, when we shift into talking about people who wear turbans and white robes and uh, are following Islam, there's a very different sort of response. And uh, this is a unique opportunity for Barb and I at this point in our life. These are people who, with the broad brush of our media, become a point of reference for all that's wrong and threatening. These people are people to fear and perhaps even hate. And yet the love of God is just as compelling to them as it is to us. Three young men that we refer to as Barry, Clem, and Derek. You can guess that that's not, those are not their names. Made a point of sh- sitting with us at some risk to themselves and telling us their story. This was perhaps the highlight of our year in 2016. All three of these men were very observant and from very religious families. Their fathers and uncles were leaders in the mosque. Each one of them shared a version of essentially the same story. What compelled them to follow Jesus was what was missing in their belief. Love. God loves us and does not condemn us. They heard that message clearly. But more importantly, they saw it. Jesus reached beyond the pious and the faithful and showed acts of mercy and love to the other. And the Christ followers that they met in their context, they observed were doing the same. We read uh, earlier, we read earlier this familiar passage from Acts 15. It's easy for me anyway to read that in the abstract. It's another Bible story about people who lived 2,000 years ago. If you're interested in church history, it's a very significant point in church history, the first uh, church council, the Jerusalem council. But if we stop and think about it for a moment, the leadership of the established church was confronted by those who had been their political enemies, had been their oppressors, the Greeks and the Romans. They were certainly their social and their cultural enemies. But they were coming to faith in Jesus and wanting to join them in worship. These leaders had the scriptures. These leaders had their own understanding of the tradition and the values of God's revelation that needed to be preserved. What struck me a while ago in thinking about this is I'm not sure that there's a more sacred symbol of God's covenant than what was brought into question at that first council, the symbol of circumcision. And yet it was being challenged and it was ultimately set aside. What we read in just a few minutes, of course, must have taken a very long time to sort through. And even once it was settled, we know from later passages in the New Testament that it really wasn't settled. I want to show you uh, a short video of a growing community of Christ followers that are openly worshiping. And uh, as you watch this, uh, notice some things that perhaps would stand out to you um, as the same and uh, some things that might be 
quite different. We'll talk about that in a moment. Anybody notice um, something that just sort of stood out to you? There's all sorts of things in there, but yeah. The flags. Yeah, that stood out to me too. Number of young people. That's interesting. I noticed that. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And did you notice the church in the background? It's an old historic Copt church, uh, which is, there's a whole story there. But uh, this is a, a uh, quite spontaneous gathering of believers in addition to the Coptic believers that we hear about in, in Egypt. Um, the flag's the Egyptian flag. That's uh, an open worship service in Egypt. I share that partly for your uh, I mean, enjoyment. It's, uh, these are people that will be worshiping beside us before the throne through eternity, so uh, we, can get, we can get used to that. Um, but also it strikes me that it's not the image that we normally see uh, coming out of Egypt or coming out of uh, that part of the world. And uh, I think the church, it's incumbent on the church to find where God is moving and um, tell that story. Uh, we will never be able to compete with the uh, overwhelming news and, uh, and sobering and sad, tragic news that comes out of the Middle East. But we can have our, our place in that. Thirty-eight years ago, almost to the week, the 28th of September, 1980, Barb and I stood here on this platform and we're blessed by a body of believers here at Berean to go out and serve on what we thought would be a seven-month adventure. That seven months turned into two years. That turned into our adult lives. And here we are 38 years later. Some of you would have been here on that Sunday. And thank you seems a very inadequate expression of our appreciation for the privilege it's been to serve marginalized and vulnerable communities. Uh, in Sudan and now in Eurasia. We're able to give our full-time attention to this work because you and others like you stand with us and encourage us on. So thank you very much. The church has struggled with the other in the first generation of believers, and clearly the church is struggling with that today. There are remarkable things happening as a result of the gospel amongst the other, as we just saw in the video. It looks different, but if you think about it, of course it's different. That's the essence of the gospel. God became man and dwelled among us. Or as Eugene Peterson famously translated John chapter 1, God moved into the neighborhood. Will you stand with us once again as we prepare to close our service? We're going to sing, Make Me an Instrument. And... Uh, reminder that God <clears throat> doesn't ask us to stand on the sidelines, right? But um, uses us and calls us to serve him in this world. I don't know about you, but uh, watching that video, didn't that just bring joy to your heart? Isn't that great to see our brothers and sisters around the world celebrating and worshiping like that? And uh, many of those people, if we could narrow that down to a face here and a face there, I'm sure have paid a price. There's been a lot of persecution in those countries. Sometimes you lose your job. 
sometimes there's a real cost to proclaiming Christ, but the joy that they were uh, sharing, that was remarkable. Thanks, Dan, for sharing that. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you for being a part of this work. It's a great work that God's called us to. Amen? We're a little speck, this church, you know. We're a little speck on that planet. But to think that God has allowed us to be a part of this. And I think of uh, uh, Dan's wife, Barb, like me, we were raised in this church. As some of you that are here still were ones that, that taught us. And now God has uh, used her with uh, Team Butler here uh, in this great work to have such an impact on the world. And we just are so thankful for that. I want to also thank you for your to our mission program. Uh, Bob brought me the, and th- these are not just numbers, but this is what enables us to faithfully continue to partner and reach hands around the globe. Uh, 63 cards and $106,670 have been pledged uh, to our mission drive of $140,000. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Continue to pray about that. Continue to think about your part in that. I invite you back tonight for our Bible study from uh, Acts chapter 7. And, of course, a part of that story is the story of Saul of Tarsus, who we are going to see in a few weeks. Uh, Dan shared how God uh, miraculously intervenes in people's lives. And, of course, we know how he miraculously intervened in Saul's life to reveal himself and how the world has been changed through the ministry of the gospel. And we're going to consider that uh, part of the stoning of Stephen and the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit tonight. I'm going to ask Dan and Barb, can you, can you guys come up here? And uh, I want to have a word of prayer and just a word of dedication from us as you continue out. And uh, thank you so much for being part of our conference this week, for sharing this morning. Uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. And continue to put that on your prayer list and continue to pray for them as they journey. And they journey a lot. They travel, what, 60% of the time? around uh, Eurasia. That's a big part of the world, North Africa to Asia to Northern Europe, and they travel a lot, and it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, and uh, we are so thankful for your commitment to the Lord and letting us be a part of you, uh, Team Butler, around the world. We're, we're just thrilled to be a part of it, you guys, for so many years. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for for this dear family, thank you for Dan and Barb. We thank you for our fellowship with them. We know, Lord, even in this congregation, there are people here who have been praying for them since they went out. I know that. They pray for them all the time. And we have been privileged to give and to be a part of supporting them so they could do this work. And, Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for their love for missions their sacrifice, their willingness to be a part of world missions, Lord. I ask you bless, bless this ministry. Bless our ministry in our neighborhood. While we leave these doors today and remember that we are part of the mission field as well, uh, if, if, if ever there was a time, uh, we are part of the mission field in our culture and our society here. We reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. We reach out with the scriptures, the holy word of God, and your presence. Dismiss us now with your blessing. Continue to bless Dan and Barb. Go with them on their journeys. We look forward to hearing wonderful, wonderful reports of your work as the Bible is translated and put in the people's hands so they can read your word in their language. What we take for granted, Lord, uh, what a thrill it is. And we look forward to hearing the blessings this week. In Christ's name, we have gathered today and we pray together. Amen.